And my vision with the art project is to create a patchwork quilt of healed little pieces of heart that we can literally wrap around the earth. Welcome to Nature Magic, a podcast for nature lovers. In this episode, we're so lucky to talk to Ireland's leading advocate for nature, Mary Reynolds. Mary's a nature activist, a self-described reformed landscape designer. At 27, she entered the Chelsea Flower Show and became the youngest ever gold medal winner with her hugely innovative, haunting Celtic Sanctuary Garden, a natural landscape with over 500 wild plant species. She's famous for her wild gardens all over the world, including at Kew and our own Bridget's Garden in County Galway. And her life was the inspiration for the movie Dare to be Wild. Mary's latest book, The Garden Awakens, is a step-by-step guide to designing and planting an edible forest garden. She also guides us to connect spiritually with the magic of nature, something most gardening books seem afraid to mention. Mary will also be speaking about her new project, We Are the Ark, encouraging people to weave a patchwork of safe havens for nature globally, in our gardens, schools, public spaces and beyond. Links to her book and website are in the show notes accompanying this episode. Welcome the fabulous Mary Reynolds. Hi Mary, it's lovely to talk to you in County Wexford. I'm in Kimbara in County Galway, so about as far west as you can get. Lovely to speak to you in Galway. In case you're listening at a different date, we're in the COVID-19 lockdown era. (laughs) So really, we have to talk about that first because you know it's you know it's a big thing in everybody's life at the moment, and acknowledging the fact that there is a lot of sadness and there will be a lot of sadness for people and a lot of difficulties um, for environmentalists. I think you know we are breathing a huge sigh of relief and even a certain amount of joy at um, the way that Mother Nature is so quickly healing and all these positive things. What are your feelings about that? Well, actually, it's, it's a funny thing. I kind of, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, I almost didn't have much hope left. And when this happened, it brought a huge amount of hope into my life that maybe people will take a break and see that we can't go back to the way we were living because Uh, the virus is here to show us something. It's here to, it's like, you know, somebody said it one day, um, um, it's like mother nature has sent us to our rooms to think about what we've done, you know, that's brilliant. Yeah. It makes me feel very hopeful that maybe it's an opportunity. It's like, she's given us a, a last chance. She's given us one more chance, you know, because she, we didn't, we didn't listen to her when, you know, all the sea creatures' bellies were full of plastic. Um, I'm repeating my own words here, but we didn't listen to her when, you know, the lungs of the earth burnt to the ground last year, um, and a billion animals were burnt to a crisp. We didn't. We haven't. We, you know, this the coral reefs are being bleached. There's so much, obviously, massive things that are happening, and we're not listening. Mm. And so, so this is sort of time out. It's just time out and maybe even though it's terrifying and devastating in many ways um, for so many people, you know, I mean, everyone's going to be touched by this, but it, it, 
it's going to be so much worse if we keep ignoring it and if we keep business as usual going along. Um, so we really need to change everything. And, you know, people think I, I have friends who are politicians and um, I often hear them say things like, should we can't change anything. It's too hard. The system is just too difficult to change. We can't change anything. And I, I don't even know where to begin with that conversation because that's how they feel. They believe that it's too late, that we can't change anything. Change is overnight. Exactly. Change. And now and now that everything has changed, maybe they can go back and rethink how we build our society again and not go back to the hamster wheel which made everybody so unhappy. You know? Yeah, so that's it that is very positive. And, you know, we see all over Facebook and Twitter, all the animals creeping into the towns and villages and, you know, the pollution dissolving in the air over the countries and the airplanes grounded. And of course, we all love to go on a holiday and, you know, we do our best to be green, but there has to be a different balance when we come out of this. Uh, So I think it's hugely positive. It's time for change and now is the time. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. The podcast really is all about nature and giving nature a voice. Mm -hmm. And really, so the first question I was going to ask people, you know, how did you become an advocate for nature? Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I guess it was was a long enough process. Um, I mean, I, I remember... I grew up on a farm in Wexford and I had a really strong relationship with, you know, my, what I call my green family when I was a kid. And, um, and then I kind of forgot all about that and became a teenager and disappeared off into the world of, you know, all the things you're not supposed to be doing. And, um, and then, uh, I ended up in college doing landscape design, not for any reason other than I fancied a guy on the course. Um, and so I found my way into that and then ended up, going into business straight away and nobody wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I went and did the Chelsea Flower Show and I kind of did it. I, I kind of had an awakening moment before I did that, kind of knowing that there was something wrong with the concept of gardening, that we were imposing our will on the earth for visual beauty and we weren't thinking about what she wanted. And so that was the beginning of it. And then, so I did a garden in Chelsea, which, you know, took off to an international design career. And, you know, it was all about wild places, um, but it was still very controlled. And then, um, and then I started, I felt somebody wrote a movie about my life or a little bit of it. And um, I decided to write a book to go along with that. And I kind of got bored of writing the book of that story. So I started to write about my work. I wrote myself out of a job almost immediately and had to reimagine how do I actually keep earning a living this way without damaging the earth. So I wrote The Gardening, The Garden Awakening. And then last year, or not this winter, just gone, the winter just before that, I was I was sitting at my desk in my my um upstairs in my office and looking down over my lawn and I I rent a house I'm trying to build a house on my my land which is about a mile away but I'm pretty slow being self-employed single parent nobody wants to give you any money so it's going to take us a while you know and um but 
anyway, I'm working away over there anyway. But it, while I was sitting at my desk in my rented property, looking down over the lawn, which the landlord keeps cut, um, he let me wild half of the property. So half of it, which is a good acre of it, is um, all brambles and skiocks. Oh. It's just pure wild. And it's lovely. Like I, I like it like that. I, I didn't, I just let it be, you know mostly out of laziness really you know and kind of a understanding that that was important but not really thinking much about it but I was sitting down at my desk looking over the lawn and a fox ran past and this is in the winter and then very quickly after him a couple of hares chasing chasing the fox you know made me chasing the fox (laughs) (laughs) and then um a little while later I looked up and I saw a hedgehog or maybe a family I can't remember Going along at the edge of the ditch, and they're supposed to be asleep, you know. Um, and and it was, it was daytime, and they're nocturnal. And I thought, okay, we're, there's something going on here, you know. So I got up and I went downstairs and followed the direction they were coming from. And at the end of my lane, across the little country road that I live on, somebody had got planning permission in in a field at the opposite side of the road, which was this really, um, thick wilderness it was a thicket of many many years of growth which hadn't been disturbed and over time it had been through nature's natural successive processes it had become um, a scrubby woodland Mm. full of thorny plants for protection so nothing could get in there and it was a home for so many creatures and the people who got planning permission they did what everybody does they went in with a digger and they cleared the whole thing out to make a lawn without any thought for any of these creatures and I stood there in absolute horror and realized I had done this myself so many times and that was the end of my career so I went home thought about the fact that these creatures have nowhere left to go because we keep tidying everything up and controlling everything farming has turned into such nature that that they're nowhere safe there that their only little safe havens are those forgotten places that we keep tidying up whenever we find them because we think we're doing something good yeah and, um so i started we are the ark because it reminded me of noah's ark stories from when i was a kid you know and i'm not religious in any way it's just a story it's a good image you know yeah. and um, so we are the ark is acts of restorative kindness to the earth and I've encu- I'm encouraging people to let go of the concept of gardening. Yeah. Um, they ran into the sanctuary that is half of my yeah. property, rented properties. I don't know how long they'll get to stay there, you know. If I leave here, who knows who will look after them, you know. And yeah. at the Borough Nature Sanctuary here, we have 25 acres of undisturbed uh, oh. uh, uh, PS. So when we opened seven years ago, um, we got quite a lot of comments, you know, why do you need a sanctuary for bushes? That was one of them. <laughs> and yet in the last couple of years, people, they do understand more. And we do, we have pasture land as well. We have a turlock and we have woodland, but there's 25 acres of shattered limestone, which is brambles, there's young ash trees, and it's totally undisturbed and we have a little path through it. Yeah. So we're on your map of We Are The Arts. And there's a website that Mary has launched with this lovely new project. So it'll be in the show notes. 
And anybody can have an ark, can't they? Even if it's just a few square feet in your garden. Yeah, I mean, there's there's thousands and thousands of arcs all over the world, you know. Most people don't want to put their arcs on the map because of food security, which I totally understand. But I know there's so many of them and they don't they don't even know about the website. They just grasp the concept because of the image of an ark. And so there's window boxes in Norway. There's there's 1500 acre arcs in America. There's there's it's huge. Like there's the amount of land which has become protected because this gives people something to do with their land and they get it instantly because of the image of an ark. Um, it gives people they, something to say as well to other people who are saying, you know, why do you need a sanctuary for 25 acres of bushes? Mm. Whereas if you have a sign and say, this is an ark, and even the, you know, people that are hedge cutting madly at the wrong time of year because they're trying to tidy up, um, you put that little sign in your garden this is an arc and they see the bushes and hopefully that'll filter down and they'll process it and think, ah, it's not messy. That's actually a home. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, a, it's a really clever idea and it's caught on. So well yeah. done. I know. It's great. That's just yeah. great. I'm just so delighted with it. So, um, so the next little question I had was people, I suppose there's loads of books about nature and gardening and there are some spiritual books and poets, but really most of the gardening and nature books veer away from spirituality. And I was wondering if you had a particular spiritual experience with nature, um, maybe in your childhood or any time during your life that might come to mind if you'd like to speak about it. Sure, there was um, the one that, that um, happened that sort of influenced my work most would, would have been when I was a kid. Um, I wandered off into, you know, when we were young, there was six kids. I was the youngest. Parents worked full time as well as being farmers. And so, um, you know, we had a lot of freedom because, you know, you were just left your own, do your own thing, left your own devices, as they say. Um, and I wandered off one day up into a field at the top of the farm. And I, I, was, I was very young. It was May because the hawthorns were flowering and I remember the smell. Um, I suppose, I, I don't know if I was five or six, in around there anyway. Um, and um, wandered into this field and then the gap in the, in the field closed behind me. Um, and it sounds like a bit crazy, but I very strongly remember knowing there was something happening behind me and I turned around and the, the, the four meter wide gap in the, in the field, in the ditch that the tractor would come through was gone. And it was just like part of the rest of the ditch. There was no way out. Like, and I got an awful fright and I remember walking around the field or running or whatever I did, trying to find my way out and I couldn't. And, um, I, I was far enough away that nobody could hear me, I guess. Um, and uh, I eventually got distracted by the sunshine and the butterflies and I sat down in the middle of the field, um, which would have been a meadow really, you know, it still was young, I was young still, so it was still kind of, I suppose it would have been late 70s. Um, and you know, the green revolution hadn't really kicked in yet, like the chemicals weren't everywhere. So there was still a lot of diversity. And I sat down and got to distracted and and I noticed that I was, you know, that feeling of being surrounded and I looked around, I couldn't see anything, but then I noticed that the feeling of 
people, as how I understood it, were actually the plants themselves. And it was this, I suddenly realized, or I, maybe it was just an understanding that children have anyway, but it was just a moment where I marked it, mm. that those plants are, they all have personalities and they all have spirits as the same way that people do. They wanted me to notice them, which I found odd. And that was something I only ever explored when I wrote my book years later. And um, what I realized is that the earth is like a heart. You know, it's like a big heart that we've broken into tiny millions of pieces when we decided to look at it in terms of ownership instead of in terms of guardianship. And each of those tiny little pieces of heart has, you know, we have the potential to heal each one as its guardian and it bonds with the person who is its guardian. And I don't know why it, it happens that there's this energy break around your boundary of land, yeah. but there is. Mm. And, um, you know, those plants and creatures that share that piece of land with you, they're part of your family and you're part of their family. So the more people that you can support and more creatures that you can support in that family, the better. Mm. Um, and my vision with the art project is to create a patchwork quilt of healed little pieces of heart that we can literally wrap around the earth. And, you know, I truly believe that it only takes a certain amount of people to wake up and, and get this and to shift consciousness before everything changes. Yeah. So, yeah. So it just takes ideas like this from the ground up to change everything. I think the image of the patchwork quilt around the earth is a lovely image. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I've been using your book, The Garden Awakening, um, Building a Forest Garden, which is so exciting. And I think it's in this book where you talk about walking the bounds of the land. Um, and I have done that. Yeah, lovely. So, yes, I've had, I've had lots of different things throughout my life with nature. Um, oh, what do you, do you, can you tell us one? Yeah, so, well, one, I have a friend who's clairvoyant and... When we opened the Borough Nature Sanctuary, she, I, I said, I better ask her if the land is okay with it, you know, because I didn't want to go ahead. Um, it's Clunacy is the townland, Meadow of the Fairies. I didn't want to up, un, upset anybody. Um, and she said, yes, that everything's fine with it, but you need to make a holy fire. And you need to get three bits of um, timber from the land. They'll be growing on the land. And it was um, oak, hawthorn, and the tea tree. And I said, oh, come on, the tea tree. That's, you know, that's Australia. It can't be the tea tree. And I sort of just left it there thinking, well, tea tree, that's obviously wrong. I don't know who, where that came from. And then, of course, I was looking into the Celtic language of the Ulm language. And the tea tree is, of course, the holiest of trees, the holly which grows wow. on the farm. So it was months later I clicked. It was like, oh, the holly, right, I better go and make my holy fire. So, and she told me exactly where to do it. She said, do it by the Rand field. And at this time she hadn't even been to the farm. I'd, she'd never visited the farm and she said, you have to do it by the Rand field. I said, oh, bye, Roy, I'm going off to do a holy fire. <laughs> I'll see you later. 
Um, so anyway, I did it, and I hope that's um, satisfied what <laughs> they needed. <laughs> Anyone, but uh, yeah, I've had many instances of connection with nature, and so yes, yeah. totally understand. Don't think it's crazy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. The question about positive actions, I mean, we know what that answer is. I was going to ask you what positive actions, but join We Are the Ark is really the thing to do. And it's easy to do. And it's all laid out on the website. Fantastic website with loads of advice on what to do. You, you don't have to join. You can just do it. You just don't do even it. need to tell anyone you're doing this. Yeah. Yes, just but do it. Just do it. If you need a little bit of inspiration, go on there and you'll know you're in a sort of a community of people. And I, I see it as sort of, even this farm, it's 50 acres, but I feel like it's an island. If we could have more that could get closer and closer together, how are those hedgehogs going to get to another place where they're safe? They have to stay here at the moment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the foxes and badgers and they wander out and yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're, they're safe here. Um, do you have any other favorite authors or inspiring books that you could re- you would like to recommend to people? Yeah, there's loads of lovely books. Um, Wilding by oh, Isabel Tree. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> My favourite too. Um, Rebirding. I can't yeah. remember who wrote it. It's a fabulous yeah. book. It just came out in February. And, oh, yeah, Doug Tallamy. He's an American author. And he yeah. was doing what I'm doing years before me. I only just found out about him. A while ago, he's amazing. He really knows his stuff. He's um, he wrote a book called Bringing Nature Home, and and he wrote another book recently called uh, Nature's Best Hope, and it's basically what we're doing the ark stuff, um, and he's doing it on the American side of the pond. You know, it's all about native plants for him, about bringing in native plants. I suppose it's slightly different to what I'm doing, but. I mean, I ask people to do that, but um, it's funny, you know, he, he, I mean, his stuff is amazing and, and, you know, I just have to try and link up with all these people, but they're all doing their own thing. We all do our own thing and hopefully enough of us will be doing something positive that it'll shift everything, you know? Yeah. So we're in the Burren here and we have a collection of the Burren flora and what we're trying to do, so we're working now with the Botanic Gardens, um, starting up the National Seed Bank. As, oh, cool. Yeah, so we would be a sort of satellite resource for the seeds for the Burren area because it's difficult for them to grow those plants up in Dublin, obviously. Yeah. And really the idea of the project is obviously have a collection, save seeds, but then grow some of the plants. And if there's areas that need rewilding, that we would be the resource to, or a resource to rewild um, some of the native plants. So the farm, 50 acres here, has never seen chemicals or fertilizers. It's certified organic for 25 years, but it never had them before. So it is very special for biodiversity. Um, So the last question is, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the earth or anything right now does anything spring to mind uh i think i'd ask people to uh i suppose it's too much of a leap i i suppose i i'd ask people magic to... wand so you can do you can leap <laughs> as far as you like and you don't have to worry about 
I think I think if we give half of the earth back to nature. Okay. And so there's these wonderful projects like Half Earth Project or Nature Needs Half. Um, if we could give half of it back to nature, including the seas, we 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 have a future. Oh, that's a fantastic goal. Let's all strive towards that. Yeah, and we can start with our own bits, even if we could give half of our gardens back to nature and everybody does that, then we're part of the solution rather than the problem, you know? Every journey starts with a single step. Isn't it? Thank you so much, Mary, for taking time out of all your gardening and all your other interviews and work commitments. Um, We really appreciate it and to hear your voice. Shouting for Mother Nature. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much.